and welcome to the third of our interviews in the Off Track Lockdown series. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be talking to Brisker Formula 1 superstar, Nigel Green. Nigel, thank you so much for doing this today. Um, how are you guys doing in these current times? Uh, I know how difficult it is with, with children knocking about, certainly. Yeah, we're, we're doing well, actually. Yeah, we're... It's strange, isn't it? Because obviously it's not really... We're not used to doing things like this, locking ourselves away. So we've not been out for about a month now. Um, but no, we're coping quite well. Um, the, we're, we're lucky we've got plenty of space where we live. So um, that's that's one big bonus. So we still get the kids out, get them exercised a fair bit. And Fred's got a motorbike and Millie does some dancing. So she's she's been out dancing on the deck and doing bits and bobs. So no, it's good. So it's all good. Good. And the weather helps. It's such nice weather at the moment, so the weather helps. Yeah, we've had a good run of it. Yeah, we've had a good run, haven't we? So, yeah, that's definitely uh, been on our side. Okay, so let's jump in. So, uh, before you came into Bristol Formula 1, you had a successful career in Formula 2. Was there ever a thought yeah. to sort of push on in that formula to challenge the likes of Gordon Moody for the, the top titles in the sport? Um, with how the sport was F2 was structured at the time there wasn't really an opportunity for me to do it because there's so many meetings in Formula 2 at that time there was no shootout series well there was a shootout but it was a one-off race at the end of the year um, so I wasn't able to compete for the silver roof um, seriously anyway so my sort of max would have been 40 meetings in a year and uh, at the time I think that some of those boys were doing near on 100 him and Polly yeah. so there was I had no chance of doing that um, but I enjoyed racing against Gordon and I respected him and I think at the time there was only me that could really give him a, a proper race and be on his pace. Um, some days I was faster than him and others he was faster than me. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good thing racing against Gordon. I think it brought the best out in both of us, but in terms of me competing against him for a silver roof, that was never, never going to happen. And was that just due to time constraints at your end? That actually, I can't commit to that that level of meetings. Yeah, well, we've got a company to run as well, and um, it, it also it was not just the time. It was Formula Twos is just so diluted. Um, there's a lot of cowed and beef meetings with sort of 15, 20 cars, um, and I would race at Birmingham when this cow and beats were on, and. It started off when I raced in, started off in Formula 2, you get 70 plus cars, but it sort of dwindled away. The more we raced, the lesser cars there was, and you started turning up to meetings with sort of 20 odd cars, and it took the fun out of it, really. And therefore, the crowd suffered as well because it wasn't as exciting with lesser cars. So, um, yeah, that was, it's not ideal, really, at that stage. That's why it sort of took, took the fun out of it for me. And, and so was that why you came into Formula 1? You came in 2014. Was that sort of one of the things that made you decide, I'm going to switch formulas and, and, and come to Formula 1 stock cars? Well, there's a few things that sort of caught my eye with it. Um, one, the noise of the things is, if you like engines, which all stock car drivers do, don't they? Um, <laughs> you, you just got to, it's, uh, it's addictive, that sound. So that was one thing. The other is... Um, the following it gets, um, the rivalry. Um, whenever we had a Formula 2 meeting on and the F1s were there, the racing was just more enjoyable because it was just a busier place, a better atmosphere. So that was one of the reasons. Um, what was the other one? It was basically a new challenge as well. So I'd sort of got to where I could in Formula 2, um, proved I was one of the fastest, um, so I just wanted to, to try something new, really, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so quite a few drivers come into Formula 1 via V8 or many. not many from Formula 2. Um, why, why do you yeah. think that is? Um, I don't know, really. Some of the other formulas are probably stepping stones, like V8, V8s or hot stops that used to be you probably class that as a stepping stone formula. But Formula 2, um, maybe you can just stick into that and run out of your garage full-time. And um, Formula 1 is just totally different to Formula 2. 
not necessarily from a driver's perspective, but in terms of the tools you need, the transporters and just the space, everything's just bigger and heavier and yeah. So um, unless you've got a big workshop with a Formula 2 in it, you're not going to run a Formula 1 very easily out of a, a normal garage, a single garage or a double garage. So yeah, I, I think think also the junior formulas like minis as well is like a feeder series isn't it it's like for a proper yeah. contact um so some people then dabble in with v8s don't they because they're rear wheel drive and it's sort of it's yeah. like a, a couple of years and then drop into the formula one yeah absolutely you see so yeah they are, they are quite stepping stone formulas like you say i think formula two can can stand alone um yeah so while we're kind of talking about sort of formula twos in the last couple of interviews with uh, Andrew and Roger, we've talked about the cost of running a top-line stock car. How does that compare to Formula 2s in Formula 1s? Well, we got sort of talking to a few people and you get led astray, really. It's, oh, yeah, you've got the initial outlay and then it, the running costs aren't much less. Um, yeah. But, no, for me, it's a lot, it's a lot more expensive. For okay. when I raced Formula 2, an engine was just over £3,000 for a, a good SRD engine. Um, and I think you need to be spending sort of 16000 really. If, you buy, okay. if, you don't, if, you're not, if you're not an engine builder yourself and you're going out to buy an engine, you've got to spend about 16000 I think, really, on an F1 engine and sometimes more. Um, so you could buy a complete F2 outfit at the time, new new chassis, new engine, spares package and everything for that money. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's very expensive. And obviously the running costs depends how you drive it, what damage you get. You can, you can soon cost yourself a lot of money if you rip the front or back axle out and damage that. Um, yeah. And also you can have engine problems, can't you? And that could be very expensive. So, um, we still made the right decision, though. We still made the right decision, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, we're fortunate. We sort of got busier and uh, could afford to, to branch out, and Formula One gets a bigger following as well. So you also um, attract better sponsors as well. So it's better. Yeah. So, so uh, Millie, just give us a minute, please, darling. Go and, just go and see Mum while I sort this out. <laughs> so it's the kids thing. Millie the kids here thing. doing dances. <laughs> I think she's really seen some TikTok. Oh, is she? Are you into TikTok? Me I mean, personally, no, but my daughter is, yeah, she loves it. Um, yeah, so the, the cost the cost of, of running F1 is significantly higher than running a, a Formula 2, for, for sure, yeah. So uh, I think if you want to run at the top level, that is, you, you can probably buy a complete car for, for the money I just said of what a, a F2 yeah. is, but you spend that money in formula two you'll get the best and if you want the best in formula one you're not you're not going to get it for that money okay that's that yeah insightful so thank you um so when you made the move into formula one you bought an ex yeah. smith car and then you you cut it up was it always your intention to kind of almost build your own car to come into formula one yeah <clears throat> well looking around at what other people had and i got hold of a rule book and had to read through and i couldn't really understand why people had the style of cars that they were running so yeah it was always my idea to adapt something um i did look at buying new cars but the cost of new um there's only really two people at the time which i'd, I'd go to and that was tom harris I spoke to him about a car and I spoke to Mark Thornton about buying a car off him. But the money they were wanting for for me to, to have one of their, car, their cars, I couldn't really justify at the time. Um, so the only other option really was to buy something secondhand because going down the new route, if it's completely fresh and you've got nothing to work from, it's it's a lot harder than starting out with something already there with like the right foundation. So... Um, in the end, the car that we bought off, well, actually bought it off Lee and Derek Fairhurst. We've moved everything. It's got a new cage. We've moved the engine. All the suspension pickup points are different. It's it's basically the main rails that's the same, and some of the undercarriage. But majority, all of it's changed. But 
the reason for buying that car was just basically a bit of a donor car and just starting with with the basics to work from. Okay, and so obviously you come into Formula One, you want to be successful. Um, you didn't necessarily have a strong Formula One background, so was that a bit of a risk doing what you did? Would, you know, cause it would have been easy, like I say, just to have bought a, a car off Tom and and um, sort of ready to go. So do you see it a bit risky? Yeah. Um, well, no, not really, because fundamentally, if you if you're building a car to go around corners fast, the basics are all pretty much the same, and I think. Looking around, the, the the people who were winning, I thought, were missing the basics. So um, you tend to in stock cars, you just tend to have a lot of people following suit all the time, and they all like to have the back left wheel up against the chassis and reading the rule books, the rule book. Why I just couldn't understand why you'd need to do that. I mean, years gone by when there was no inside weight rule and everybody wanted maximum inside or left weight then I could get that but having such a car all offset and just just didn't make sense to me really I don't understand why you'd want to do that the only and small benefit is the mass of the driver when he gets in you gain inside weight by having your axle offset that much but I'm not a heavy lad anyway so I don't <laughs> gain much inside weight the scales don't alter a lot so no I don't I, I didn't buy into it and we got a few frowns when we rolled the car out, but uh, we managed to get it working in the end, so it was all good. And do you spend a lot of time kind of thinking about this is what I want to do, and, you know, sort of planning it out in your heads or on paper? Was it a, a long process? No, it wasn't actually. No, like I say, it was just reading the rules, trying to understand how we could build the car at the time there was just a maximum car width rule so we was working around the maximum the, the regulations of that um and then try and build a car that well similar to what a formula 2 is really a square car you can still achieve the inside weight get the weight in the right place and um, and work from there so excuse me it was just a case of just getting the basics right and then then you just need to make the most of it then, basically. So if you've got a car, I had it when I started out in Formula 2, I had a DK car and we did change bits and bobs, but it was just about getting the most out of it really, rather than trying to copy what everyone else is doing. I was just trying to engineer my own car with help of others along the way and understanding and learning as you go really, gaining experience. Okay. So, it, so what you brought out was, was very different to the car that you, you started with. So did you get, um, it's fair to say people were quite um, surprised with the result. Did you get much feedback at the time on what you'd done? Yeah, it got a lot of attention, really. It was a bit of a rat look car, wasn't it? I, I put a photo on Facebook the other day and had a lot of different colours on it and different panels and some with no paint. But uh, yeah, it, it got it got some good feedback, actually. Um, the fans and spectators seemed to really, really welcome it because it was different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was good. And then we also had drivers coming up showing an interest, but I can't remember one driver coming up to me saying, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's what we we would want to do or, or anything like that. I just all the feedback from the people who build cars or race the cars at the time was just, no, no, that won't work. We've tried that. We've all done that years ago and that, that you won't get that to work. So that was uh, interesting to hear. There was one, one moment that stuck in my mind. Um, the car went to... Laurie and Ryan Harrison's one, one weekend because uh, I run their engines and uh, we had a problem with the engine and we needed him to have a look at it. I didn't want to send the car, but I had to send it there just because of the timescales. So I sent him the car and uh, they started laughing when they rang me saying, what are you driving this swear word thing for? <laughs> um, and I started laughing and it, I think Ryan, uh, uh, Ryan or Murray, just said, oh, you want to run a, a grinder down the middle of this, mate? This is never going to be any good. You won't get this to this to work. Uh, but it's quite fun, really, is the sort of 
progressed and we understand it and got it dialed in, I was uh, able to to win against Ryan on uh, some occasions, so it was good. <laughs> so, so did that kind of make you more determined then to kind of prove that actually I can make this car work? You know, there's sort of the, the fact that people were saying it would. Yeah, yeah, you do question some things because uh, Formula One stock car is so quirky with what you've got. You've got, well, we're, we're, the tyres have changed since, but at that time you were you run different tyres on different corners all the time and different sizes. Um, so there are weird things to try and engineer and get your head around. And sometimes the basics don't actually work out like you think they're going to. But... Um, yeah, it did fuel the fire a little bit, but like as, a, as I said earlier, it's just about understanding your own car and getting the most out of it. So if you've got an understanding of what your car's doing and you can figure out why and progress, then, then it's, it's an enjoyable challenge, really, just to try and develop something and to, to, to get to the top. So speaking of that, it, it became an incredibly successful car. Uh, it won the 2017 World Final in it at Ipswich. Um, did that exceed your expectations and considering it was only your fourth year in the sport? Um, I'd probably sound a bit big-headed if I said no. Um, but at the <laughs> time, I was I was the fastest person in 17 on tarmac. Um, I was the man to beat. So yeah. on paper, I was the favourite to win the race. So at the time, um, I wasn't surprised when I won, but being the favourite doesn't always equate to a lot in stock car racing. So on paper, I was statistically very likely to win yeah. the race, wasn't I? Because I was I was the, the fastest man and I was starting on pole position. So yes, I suppose I was. It did sort of surprise me that I was the world champion. But when you look back and the pace I had and the form at the time, we were going well. So yeah, it was it was it was a nice thing to win, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And and did you see Dan coming on the last lap? No, I didn't. Um, I knew I got held up one or two laps to go. There's a car spun in front of me um, at the first corner and kept his foot down, so I couldn't see a lot for smoke. So I lost a bit of time with that. And he sort of spun out of the way, so I, I knew he'd be clear for whoever was behind me. And I didn't know who it was. I run such a small mirror. Um, so I can't actually identify who's behind me. Um, is that deliberate? And drive. Is that deliberate to have a small mirror so you don't know who's behind you? Yeah, I think <laughs> you, you close in a lot on people with stock cars because they don't corner very fast. It's not like Formula 2. They don't corner that fast. So you have to slow it down a lot. So you can quite easily take your eye off the ball if you've got a big mirror in your face and you're looking at who's coming all the time. I just, I try to just drive my own car and my own race. And if somebody wants to get past or they're fast enough to get past, they'll move me out of the way. Um, so no, I didn't know he was there or in range, but um, I was quite fortunate really. I caught up to Lee Fairhurst on the last lap and Going into the last corner, I, I positioned myself sort of very close to his back bumper. So I thought if anyone does come in with anything, I can pass it on to him. At least he'll cushion a bit of it. Um, but um, no, I didn't see him, to be honest. It was, it was a bit optimistic, wasn't it? So yeah, was... A little bit. <laughs> it was. Um, so I just want to talk about 2018. Um, you were now during the winter of... 2017-18, that you wouldn't commit to racing uh, the new season uh, due to a rule change that directly impacted you. Um, looking back, how do you feel about that now? Well, I think it was the right thing to do, really, um, because it just got people talking, really, whether it was right or wrong. Uh, what I did is, is everybody has an opinion, don't they? But it was just to get my points across, really. That was just a bit upset the way the way it was uh, dealt with. So yeah, I just wanted to get people talking. Why is Nigel Green not racing? And where's the Goldwood for? Whatever. So yeah, I just wanted to get my points across. So that was the reason. So yeah, I still do the same now. So yeah, I believe it was the right decision. 
Okay. And and do you regret not racing the full season with the gold roof? No, not really. Um, I regret, or just, like I said, I was just disappointed at the time. I had big aspirations of, of rolling out two brand new cars, which would done the, would have done the sport good. Um, it would look very professional. We had the cars pretty much steel work done 70, 75% by the end of, of the season. So the plan was to roll those cars straight out at the start of the year and we would have got that done. So when we got the sort of rug pulled from under us and the rules changed overnight with sort of no prior notification, nobody nobody spoke to me before and said, this is what we're thinking of doing, just, just bear it in mind with your cars. Everyone knew we were building cars. And then to change the rules like that was just just disappointing really it was just a bit unprofessional the way they can just change well they didn't actually change the rules they implemented a new rule as i said earlier the car we were running was built around a maximum width rule car width rule and after 2017 they bought in a maximum track width rule so your car can still be 90 inches on paper or whatever it is but now then they bought a, a track width rule in which basically made um, our axles illegal Okay. Um, and it, we weren't in a position where we could just change back wheels to, to, to get inside those rules. So it was it was an expensive procedure and we had to cut, cut cars up. So uh, that was the reason really why it sort of touched a nerve. Yeah, yeah, I, can, I, I understand that and I think you've explained other, it really well. The other thing is, I've actually, we raced, so we rolled that car out in whatever it was, 14 or 15, didn't we? So I've been racing that car in that specification for three years, and it wasn't until I actually got it going was when they decided to ban it. So it wasn't like I put a different back axle in for one race or anything. It's the car, it was the same. So like I say, it was just sour grapes, really. It's That's the problem when you've got drivers that can throw into the mix a rule change and get backed by a few people and before you know it there's a new rule added yeah. um, so I think it was just being totally honest people couldn't compete with me at the time so they wanted to try and outlaw my car but again the other frustrating thing is it wasn't an expensive component like in years gone by when they've implemented rules or added rules it was done either on safety or expense where people or, or probably um, if parts aren't readily available. So there was none of, none of those three things really involved. It wasn't expensive. It was readily available to everyone. It was just it was just a back axle that was a bit wider than anybody was currently running. But that's only because everyone else shortens their axles. I, I don't shorten my axles for that reason. So it's actually people get their axles and then cut them up and make them shorter. So they don't actually need to do that or you just shorten them less. So it wasn't like it was going to make everybody's racing expensive all of a sudden if they wanted to, if they thought that was the reason I was fast, they could soon soon do that themselves. And, and were, you, were you given a specific reason as to why it was it, that particular uh, thing was being banned? Was, was there a reason no. given to you? No, no. And I tried to compromise and come up with a, a width that I could get down to. I, I can't quite remember where we were now off the top of my head, but I tried to find some middle ground that I could achieve just by changing my wheels so I didn't have to alter all my axles, uh, just by the wheel centers. And again, that was just sort of pushed aside. So there was no, it was just, it was just it was just done wrong basically so it was just frustrating for me. Um, I, I do I mean it was a tricky question to ask you and I, I do appreciate your your honesty in in answering it so, so thank you for that. Um, right. Just kind of looking at your racing background um, that's karting. Uh, your brother racing races touring cars. Um, so why did you choose to come into stock cars initially? Um, what, what what was the decision behind that? Um, well. My dad raced stock cars in the early 90s, Formula mm -hmm. 1 stock cars, um, around 90 or 91, something like that. And I would have only been six or seven at the time. So he raced a bit. And then for my ten, my brother's 10th birthday, he, um, he said he'd like to race a mini stock. 
So um, they hired a, a car off near Shenton, I think it was at the time. So he did that and got the bug and showed some potential. So they went down the route of racing mini stocks with Jamie and my dad sold his cars to, to fund that. And then after a season of mini stocks, he moved over into go-karts. So I went with him at that stage then and started racing go-karts when I was 11. Um, and was successful, but not as successful as my brother. But the main thing, the main thing was I just wasn't as dedicated as my brother Jamie was. So I ended up going out, just being a bit of a nuisance at night, turning people's generators off and doing whatever <laughs> little nuisances do like me. And he was, uh, he was there cleaning his go kart and and looking at why he was, or why he was or wasn't winning at the time. So as money got tighter. The, it was just sort of tunnelled into Jamie because he was showing a lot of promise and he, he just had the hunger for it and I didn't. I enjoyed playing golf and uh, play shooting at the time. Okay. So so that was that was sort of the karting first part and then so I stopped racing and then when I could afford to fund it myself, I started racing karts again in sort of 06, something like that, uh, under my own steam and was going quite well, winning a few club races. Um, but when I try and mix it with the so-called big boys, I, I just didn't have the budget to do it. So my equipment wasn't good enough. So I just, for some reason, I called in at Northampton and the Formula 2s were racing. So, um, yeah, just sort of, it sort of suited my character, really. I was always a bit of an elbows out racer anyway. Uh, I don't mind getting my hands dirty and uh, getting stuck in. So it just sort of, yeah, it just sort of matched with what I thought. And mix order had the gold roof at the time. So it was, thought, well, I want, if I'm going to have a go, I want the same car as what he's got. Because he's, he's obviously got a decent car. Um, so, yeah, it sort of rolled from there, really. And before you know it, we've got a, we've got a Daz Kitson car. Um and started racing Formula Two, so yeah, it was, it was good. It, it just suits me really. And stock cars is so good for for learning as well. So when I when I bought a Formula Two, I didn't know how to weld or fabricate. Or I didn't know a lot about it. I just started asking questions and learning. And before you know it, now I'm sort of building cars and maintaining my own cars and stuff like this. So it's it's really good learning curve and it sort of develops me into what we do with the business as well now we do a lot more fabricating within our business and it's all sorts comes from stock car racing yeah yeah Roger referenced that they when he had his uh, stock car that's how he learned to weld and to fabricate just by working on his stock car that's how he sort of taught himself yeah yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, you've kind of touched on it already a little bit so obviously very busy with work and racing um do you have time for any other hobbies During the season, not so much. No, um, I don't. I still don't do all the Formula One meetings. But um, no, I've got Fred now that's showing an interest in go karting again. So uh, all of a sudden, we're out with him a lot, or we were. Um, so I'll be taking him karting when I'm not racing myself. And Millie also, she dances with the Royal Ballet School. So. My wife's running her to and from Birmingham every weekend. Um, so we just like to hang out, have a few barbecues and, and catch up when we're not racing, really. So we lead hectic lifestyles. So, yeah, I do, I do a bit of clay shooting as well. Enjoy some clay shooting and game shooting over the winter. A bit of skiing. Tend to do a bit of that. And lads trip skiing and one family trip. So we try and run two ski trips in every winter. So... Yeah, I'm quite busy, so very busy. Very busy. <laughs> so when you're not busy and you're having a movie night at your house, what favourite yeah. film are you putting on? It's your choice. You can put your favourite film on. It's going to be. Uh, it'd have to be Titanic. No, really? Um, <laughs> no, mate. I, I genuinely believed yeah. you. <laughs> um, no, it'd be it'd be a tough one. Um, it'd either be Days of Thunder. Or smoking the bandit, something like that. Just 
nothing too serious, just just a nice steady away. Enjoy that. Sit there with a the brand new Diet Coke. Nice night. Two, two brilliant films. Um, so you've got you've had your movie night. Uh, the next night you're going to host a dinner party. You can invite three people, uh, dead or alive. Who are you going to invite? Famous people. Famous. Three people. Dead or alive. Um, I think Guy Martin. He's yeah. a bit of a character. He likes to get his hands dirty and he's not really showbiz, is he? But he's just passionate about engines and, um, yeah. and motorsport in general. Or motorsport he's very excitable as well. Very excitable character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tripped over a video of him on Facebook the other day where Sky Sports interviewed him on the MotoGP game. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he just... Totally confused the presenter of what he was talking about, but his passion was just dripping off him. And you just tell yeah. how enthusiastic he was about the job. So, yeah, I think he'd be a good bloke. So, he, he could come. I wouldn't want him cooking, though, unless he put gloves on. Um, uh, so, secondly, Gino DeCampo. Okay. Like that. Yeah. I've watched him on telly recently on his bit of a tour he's doing with yeah, Gordon yeah. and Fred. He seems a character and he could cook and, uh, yeah. And then a bit of a curveball, Fred Dibner. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Why? He's just old school, isn't he? Just a bit of a... Bit of a nutter. Again, he likes engines and stuff, but yeah, just some of the things you see and he's done over the years, I think he could tell you a good tale, couldn't, couldn't he? So uh, yeah, just a just seemed a proper bloke to me. Old school. That's a fantastic dinner party. Yeah, I think that's probably the yeah. best answer I've had to that question. So thank you. Brilliant. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Obviously, the wife would have been first on the list, but she's not that famous at the minute. She's famous, but not that famous. <laughs> She's, she's not offended and she can't hear you. And we'll watch this, I'm sure. So it's all good. Um, yeah. So going back to stock cars for a minute, you purchased yeah. shell cars from Ryan and Murray. Um, so yeah. why did you do that and not follow the route you did with your tarmac car? Um, the Harrisons like nice things and everything they have is done right. They, they, they only buy and sell the right the right stuff good quality parts so i like dealing with both of them um the main reason was the engine but i also knew all the components around it so not necessarily for the car more the engine and the components um so that was the reasoning behind that at the time and we just wanted to get out shale racing. We just got drawn into it at the time. Me and my dad, we thought, right, what we're gonna, what can we buy? So we want to race at Coventry, and before you know it, we've got. I think it was. I can't remember. I think it was Ryan's car we bought first. They yeah. bought two new cars out, didn't they? And we ended up buying them both, and bo both mainly for the engines. But by the time we had one, and the other one was the same. It's like, well, if we buy that one, we've got a spare of everything. Yeah. So we ended up buying two. Um, but again, it probably didn't look like it, but if you look around the cars now, well, I sold one of them, but if you look around the car now, it's not really a Harrison car now. Right. The chassis, the, again, the, the, the tub and the main rails and the cage is still Harrison, but the suspension, uh, the engine position and pickup points, etc. Track with it's it's different to what they had, so we have we have uh, modified it a lot since buying it off them. Okay, and and do you have a preferred racing service? No, I don't actually. No, um, I enjoy racing shale because it's a bit like going into a karting with your mates. Really, it's all in slow motion, and you can just sort of give people a bit of a dig or here and there, and it it's. I do enjoy racing shale, but I also enjoy racing tarmac when there's some grip to be had. I don't enjoy slipping around a, a wet track or a track that's got loads of mud on it or anything like that. But if you're racing at Skeggy and the track's clean and the pits are clean, so you're not bringing a load of water and rubbish on the track, or you've not got some cars dropping a load of oil and water. I enjoy going fast um, yeah. and you can motor on around there. So. 
No, I don't really. If you said to me both cars are ready to go, are we going to Skegness or Kings Lynn? I wouldn't be bothered which track we turned okay. up at, to be honest. That's but those are those are my two favourite tracks, definitely Skeggy and um, yeah, and Kings Lynn. Both very fast. Both very fast, like today. Um, yeah, good. Time for both. Um, so you you've already mentioned that you are um, or you were building two new cars in conjunction with uh, Mark Thornton. So how are they coming along now? Where where are you up to with them? Uh, a lot better actually since lockdown because I've got one here in my shed now. So we're uh, well, I say we, me. I've spent the last sort of two weeks in the shed now continuously, um, and it's about ready to go for paint. So. As soon as we're allowed to, we'll send that car and get it painted and we'll be, uh, well, now should we hopefully be able to run it out as soon as the season gets back going. So, yeah, good with that one. The Toshman car... Pardon? Sorry, was that the shale car you said that's ready to go? Sorry. The shale car, yeah. Yeah, that's a shale car. Uh, the tarmac car's further away, um, but depends how much longer we're locked down for. Hopefully I can... Uh, Get, get stuck into that one as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully they'll both be out this year now. Okay. And, and how did that, that part... was always the plan. The plan was yeah. always to roll them out. They're, they're, they're the I mean, newest, oldest cars about, aren't they? I think they're pushing nearly four years old now. Um, but we always try and aim at the end of the year. We always say, the lads and the mechanics who the team around me, right, what we'll carry on? We'll carry on, we'll do... Uh, We'll do one night and a Saturday afternoon in the workshop. We'll get these cars done and we'll get prepared for next year. And it comes to November, it gets cold and dark and we just we just hibernate. So yeah, yeah. we always have these big aspirations of what we're going to do, but it never <laughs> happens. Um, so we, you obviously got a partnership with Mark. How did that come about? Well, as I mentioned earlier, at the time, there was only a couple of cars that I was interested in driving. Before, before we bought the Smith car at Fairhurst. Um, so I went to see Mark uh, at Neil Scullin's place and like I say, sent me a price list and I, I couldn't really justify that. So time went on and Mark's put so much time and effort into developing this car on his computer and designing it. Um, so his cars come in a kit basically so everything he just sends away and gets it all laser cut, all the tubes are done. So he basically puts it together like a jigsaw. Um, so, and he'd already invested into two of the chassis, two of the kits. So he's had two kits sat there. So he come to me after, probably because I'd sort of progressed and he, he saw how I was, uh, how well I was doing. And it, I think he just thought, well, I want to, try and hook up with Nigel and get him on my car. So to put it in his words, he came with his cap in his hand. He says, how can we work together? What, how can we progress? So we had a deal. I've still bought the cars off him, but a, a better rate just to, because I just sat there, nobody was, nobody was doing anything with the cars he's got. Nobody was out there hunger, hungry, trying to develop the cars with him, which he wants. So I think between us, what we can achieve will be very good because he's got good knowledge and the car's designed properly so it's efficient rather than starting with an old an old car and bolting new bits on. It's actually the carcass is designed properly as well. So it, it'll be interesting, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so hopefully both out on track, fingers crossed this season if we if we get out there. Yeah, that's the, that's the plan, mate. Yeah, hopefully they'll be yeah. out nice and shiny and going well. So, yeah, the sort of, the way it come about was I had my ideas of what I wanted to do and obviously my car, I've got 10 plus years old now, so it, you know, I could ideally do with a new one because you don't really know how they're rusting away internally. The main rails have seen a bit of action over the years and they've got a few holes <laughs> in and a few bends. So, uh, from from that perspective, I needed a new car anyway, so we've gone down that route. And what we've learned from my car that we've developed, and we're going to slide into the Thornton cars as well. So it's sort of we've banged the heads together to come up with what what we've got to to show you guys. Hopefully, in a couple of months. 
Brilliant. Um, so what will happen to the cars that you've, you've currently got, your older cars, is the idea to sell them or just to keep them just in case? Or? Um, well, we'll sort of over, overlap them for a little bit, see how, see how the new ones go, because we're always going to have a few issues, aren't we? But um, I'll either rent them out if there's somebody out there that wants to, to hire proper cars, long as they're like my size which is that sort of narrows it down a bit but yeah i'd rent them out or just sell them so if anyone's interested in any of the cars get in touch because they, they will go um so yeah i'm not planning on having four cars in the workshop i don't i don't <laughs> we'll end up getting bent in half or just park up for a week or two yeah but good advert though good advert for selling it um well yeah we'll see <laughs> John Lund has held the title, for some I can remember, of being the last to arrive at a race meeting. Are you trying to take that title off him? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, it just, I don't know really. There's not a lot to do before the start of a Formula One meeting. I don't go there for a social, so I just sort of turn up when the racing starts. So, no, I don't, if a meeting <laughs> starts at five or six, then I'll get there at, couple of minutes before that and that'll, that'll do us but um yeah I don't, I don't understand why everyone wants to get there at two o'clock or queue up to get in um yeah. sit in a queue for an hour or so i just you know, i'd rather just spend that extra time make sure the car's set right on the scales and get everything pointed in the right direction and then just roll it out the trailer and see how i get on Get on track straight away. No waiting around. Brilliant. <laughs> I didn't, didn't realise I was viewed by that way, turning up late. But uh, yeah, I suppose I yeah, that's this mindset. So probably I am. Um, do you have any pre-race rituals or superstitions? I mean, if you've got time to have them before you, you, you know, once you've turned up on track. <laughs> no, I don't. No, um, no, not really. Well, I say not really. No, I don't have anything. No, um, I just have my cousin Ben strap me in the car, usually as a rule, and he'll say a few things if he thinks any anybody's been messing us about in races, uh, like races just gone by or whatever. He'll remind me of what what's been going on. But no, there's no really. We don't have a handshake or put a glove on a certain way or do anything. No, just get in, get stuck in. Okay, and do you get do you get nervous at all, especially in the big big championship races? Do you get nervous, or are you kind of okay? No, no, I don't. No, I'm, I'm quite fortunate in that way. No, I'm quite relaxed. Um, I think I fell asleep before the European set off in 2017. Probably something to do with being in the bar most of the night, to be honest. But um, no, I don't. I don't suffer from from that side of things. So no, I'm quite relaxed. Um. So you, you mentioned advice or kind of uh, somebody telling you who to hit before you go out on track. But, um, but what's the best advice you've been given? Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, stock car related. Probably from my uncle Robin, who's passed away now, bless him. He had MS and um, his sort of motto or advice would be, if it gets hard, get hard with it. Um, and he was always a grafter when his body would allow him to. So yeah, probably, probably that. Yeah, if it gets hard, get hard with it. I like that. I like that. It's very good. Yeah. Um, and a, a bit more of a trickier question potentially. Um, if you had to pick out the biggest mistake you've made in stock cars, what would it be? Um, no massive mistakes that I can think of where I've just sort of threw a race away. So, no, no massive ones. Um, I was frustrated after Bellevue shootout in 17 where I, I put myself and speak in the fence. I knew at the time I had no other gear other than second gear. Um, so I was going out there and I had to beat him on points by considerable amount so I basically needed to park him in the fence and me to finish in the top three or four um, and we set off and Rob went and I just saw an opportunity and so I left it on and gave him a good slap but yes, yes. I didn't really <laughs> I didn't realize he'd actually hit, be able to get to Paul Harrison in front so 
I hit him that hard. He hit Paul Harrison, and Paul Harrison was a long way gone. And I never thought he'd actually be able to hit him, and that's what what screwed it up for me, really. If he'd have just gone in the fence without hitting Paul, then I'd have got my car turned and just sort of bounced off him, and I'd have been gone. But as it happens was, he hit Paul, and then I hit the back of Speak, and I'm in the fence with no reverse gear. So that was the biggest kicking the ball. So I'm not yeah. sure it was a mistake. It just didn't pan out. Sometimes you could do that, and he bounces off him and goes in the fence lovely, but it just didn't work out for me, really. So, yeah. As my lowest point, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, probably a better way of winning, isn't it? Your lowest point in stuff cars. Um, yeah, but it wasn't like I was winning a race and I've done something or ran into someone and got a puncture. So I've not had any sort of clangers like that. So, yeah. well, not yet. Touch wood. Um, so putting you to one side for a second, in your opinion, who are the top three drivers in the sport at the moment? My biggest competition's um, Tom Harris because yep. he's he's got good equipment. He's the right age where he's hungry for it, isn't he? Um, and he's good on both surfaces, so he's the main competition. And then going down from from that, somebody who's sort of on both surfaces. There's, I think there's like a big jump really to the next person who I think it's it's hard to come up with somebody after that you, you obviously you've got Frankie Wayman who's a very experienced driver but he's diluted a bit isn't he because he's got that many customers and family members racing he's I think his sort of passion's gone out of the job a little bit which reflects in his results okay. probably but he's obviously a very good driver and you can never rule him out Dan Johnson is 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 good Probably better on shale and tarmac performance-wise. I respect Lee Fairhurst. He's also a strong driver. Yeah. Um, and you, I always have a smile when I watch Mick Sorder as well. His car control on shale is really second to none. I think he can he can drive a car when his head's in the right in the right uh, in the right place. So yeah, I'm not sure top three. I don't really know where to rank those ones, but yeah. Tom's definitely the main competition, so I sort of judge off that really. So he's the mark, yeah. he's the one I want to beat. When I um, spoke to Matt Newsom at the Motorsport Latitude show, and we talked about who is his biggest competition, and he said, "Well, if you beat one, you've still got to beat X, Y, and Z." You just mean there's that many kind of good drivers in the sport at the moment? It's quite difficult to pick them out. It is, yeah. The, the, there's a lot of people out there, and there's new lads isn't there, as well coming into it who are making a name for themselves, and people who are uh, getting better equipment as well and learning. So yeah, there's there's a lot of lot of competition out there, and it's good. And obviously, the grading system works works fantastically as well. So yeah, it's good. You can never really you wouldn't want to put a lot of money on every race, would you? If you were a better yeah. man who was going to win. No, not a moment. No, definitely not. Um, a couple more questions. So. Best yeah. and worst thing about stock cars? Best thing is when somebody's held you up or took a cheap cheap shot at you or done something uh, and you square it up, uh, put them in the fence or just rattle them um, and drive off. Driving off hurts them more than the fence ever will. So if you can drive past somebody and they just can't keep up with you, that's that's the best thing. Um, um, like, uh, these boys were one example, but these boys did. It wasn't a cheap shot they took. It was the European in seventeen, where I was on on the front row and um, got got pushed out of the way by I think it was Frankie or Johnson at the first lap and the next corner. So I got two decent hits, put me to the fence both times, but not quite good enough. And it, they just sort of lined up for me. And I managed just to give them both a good slap and took both of them out of the race in one hit. Frankie out straight away and uh, damaged Johnson's steering, which failed a, a lap or two later. So that was nice, really. It's a really good thing. It's a bit like a last bender, isn't it, or something? Yeah. So, yeah, that's the best thing is where you can take a hit and then give it back with a bit of, bit of interest and go on to win. That's the main thing. For me, you want to win, and it? A good, a good hit to me is put them in the fence without you hitting the fence yourself, and that's that's proper, 
proper stock car yeah. racing, in my opinion. Um, and what was it? You were worst yeah, thing about but... stock. Uh, there's a couple of things really. A lot of the components we're sort of forced into using come from scrapyards or out the back of someone's shed. So they're usually covered in grease and crap. So that's one bad thing. And also just the, the sheer mess in the shale and tidying up the mess stock cars create. That's probably the worst thing about it. But yeah. But uh, we'll put up with that because there's, there's more highs than there is lows. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and finally, unfortunately, we, we have had a delayed start to the season. But when we get going, uh, what are your plans and aspirations? Obviously, two new cars out there. Are you kind of setting your sights on a particular title or just kind of what comes up, mate? Um, well, we'll see what titles are out there up for grabs. But for me, I don't judge my racing and performance on the titles or the trophies because with stock cars there's always a lot of things that can get in the way of that and it doesn't actually mean you've not done a good job the thing I get the most pleasure from is being the fastest so if I'm fast enough to win or fastest overall that that's what I want to achieve and obviously with these new cars it'd be nice to roll them out and be at the top of the lap time so that's the main thing I want to achieve um, but also Fred started his racing now so he's going to have to we have to shoehorn him in because he's he's showing a lot of potential and he's passionate for it. So I think he'll be a good driver. So I want to put some time into him and uh, enjoy doing that. But hopefully we can still get out and do plenty of races as well. Okay. Um, Nigel, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you this evening. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to do this. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. See you later. Bye-bye.